Good morning. Dave Mahler uh, just uh, whispered in my ear he has to uh, go to Marathon to uh, lead the congregational meeting, which at all three campuses is during the Sunday school hour for all 13 of us that are here. And uh, he said, I just want you to know, don't feel conspicuous, Jeff, but uh, he said, I have the only tie in the building on and you have the only short sleeve shirt on. <laughs> I'm an optimist. During the congregational meeting, and you're all welcome to come, it'll be in the sanctuary during the Sunday school hour, uh, we have the privilege of giving Jared Stichter, our youth pastor, credentials, permanent credentials from the Free Church. He has worked hard, and uh, he's written a long paper, and he's defended it uh, among some of uh, his peers in the Free Church. It's gone to the national office. It's been read, and it's been approved, and so we have the joy of giving him his permanent credentials. And that's an exciting thing. Before I pray, I just want to read a little quote from Billy Graham. He said, I have one message. That Jesus Christ came, he died on a cross. He rose again, he asked us to repent of our sins, to receive him by faith as Lord and Savior. And if we do, we have forgiveness of all of our sins. If we've got one message... That's a great message to have. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for people like Dr. Billy Graham, that though not perfect, as none of us are, and those saved by faith, as we must be. He proclaimed your son, over and over and over again, and lived a life, a public life, without the stain of corruption. Father, may we do like that. As Paul says, may we imitate Paul when we imitate Billy as they imitate Christ. Father, as we look at your inspired and errant word today in Luke 18, and continue now a fifth series out of Luke as we work towards the end of the book. Father, allow your word, your inspired, inerrant word, to penetrate our hearts, to transform us into the likeness of your Son, for your great glory and our betterment. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. There was a young teen boy. He was applying to be an usher at a movie theater. And during his interview, the manager said, let's suppose for a moment that the theater catches on fire. How are you going to respond? The young boy said, oh, don't worry about me. I can run fast. I suppose that's a somewhat adequate answer. But I think the manager was wondering in his role as an usher, what is he going to do for others? We could have a similar question posed to us as Christ followers. Someone could say, how are you going to be if Christ returns? And we could say, oh, don't worry about us. We know Jesus, we're ready. And praise the Lord if that's true. But there's an added response that we need to give because we are spiritual ushers, 
entrusted with the gospel, salvation by faith in Christ alone, to share with others. You remember what Jesus said just prior to his ascension in Acts 1.8. He said, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And I think about being a witness, I think of people like Billy Graham. And I think about a young man, he was a barber, he was listening one day to a sermon, and the sermon was about the privilege, the joy we have of telling others of salvation by faith in Christ alone. And he became convicted in his life that he had let too many opportunities slip by where he should testify about Christ to others. And so he decided to prepare himself He began by memorizing the Romans Road, which is listed for you in an insert in the bulletin. It's a little more than a half a dozen verses that together give us the entire gospel of Christ that we can use in sharing the gospel with others. And so this barber memorized the Romans Road. It took him three or four weeks. And then one day he went to work and he said, Lord, The first person who walks through those doors, I want to share the gospel with. And a few minutes later, the door opened and the biggest, baddest, foulest mouthed man he had ever seen walked through the door. And he had on a jacket and it said, Hell's Angels, and it wasn't a reproduction. And you can imagine his fear and his timidity. And the man left without hearing the gospel. Maybe some of us can relate. And throughout the day, the barber kept saying, Lord, just give me one more opportunity. And throughout the day, he failed to share the gospel. And it got to the end of the day, 15 minutes left. And he's disconcerted with his attitude and his action. He said, Lord, if you give me one more chance. And the door opens up, and it's a timid-looking man. Looks like an easy target. And the man sits down, he asks for a haircut and a shave, and and the barber begins to cut his hair, and for the life of him, he can't remember a single verse that he had memorized. He'd worked hard on these seven verses, and he can't remember any of them. And he finishes the haircut, and he applies the cream for the shave, and he stropes the razor on the leather strip, and there's perspiration flowing down his face because he's forgotten everything. And finally, holding the razor in front of the man, he said, are you prepared to die? (laughs) Maybe not the best way to share the gospel, but at least he's trying. Are you? Am I? The results are always God's. The effort is ours. As you think about Luke chapter 17 and 18, Here we have a Savior who is testifying of the need of every person to receive him by faith as Savior in order to be forgiven of sins and to be given eternal life. And predominantly, the pericopes in these two chapters are Jesus testifying to the religious elite, the lay leaders, the Pharisees, But today we come to a dream text. 
It's one of those opportunities that we all pray for. Perhaps many of us have experienced it, though it's less common than we like. Here we have a man that comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We have a man who wants to know something about the afterlife. And I'd like to pick up in our text, and I I want to read verses 18 to 30. And a ruler said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody is good except God alone. In other words, you've got that part right. I am the Savior. And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, and he mentions the back five of the ten. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And you remember what the rich ruler says. He said, oh, all these I have kept from my youth, from my bar mitzvah. He's a little self-assured, isn't he? And when Jesus heard that, he responded, but one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor And you will have riches in heaven and come and follow me. And the man had a woeful confidence because he was attached to his wretches. Jesus, seeing that he became sad, said, How difficult it will be to enter the kingdom of God for those who have riches. Indeed, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And those who heard it understood. And they said, then who can be saved? And Jesus answers, with man it is impossible. Not improbable. With man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus responded and said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. We understand the context. It's a series of pericopes in which Jesus is sharing the gospel. And in verse 18, we have a ruler, the Greek word archon, who comes to Jesus. I find it refreshing because this word probably speaks of a political leader. May his tribe increase. This political leader has spiritual sensitivity. But notice the pronoun. He gets it all wrong. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, he should have said, what have you done for me, Jesus? And how should I respond in order to receive eternal life? But Jesus plays along with them. And Jesus said to him, well, you know the commandments. Referring to the Decalogue in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. And he names the back five. And he says, you know what Moses wrote, you shall not commit adultery. And we can kind of see what's going on among the rich young ruler's thought process. He thinks to himself, adultery, thought about it a number of times, but didn't do it. I get a single on that one, one for one. He, of course, doesn't realize what Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 28, 
when Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the man thinks he's batting one for one, but he's 0-4. And so Jesus goes on and says, Moses declared you shall not murder. And you can kind of think through what this guy is thinking. Well, I thought about murder once when a guy cut me off on the highway. I made a gesture to him. It wasn't a very good one, but I made a gesture, but I didn't kill him. But we forget what the Bible says in 1 John 3.15. If you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you have committed murder. And so he thinks he is two for two, but he's 0 for two. And we have to take stock ourselves, and probably all of us are 0 for 2 as well. And Jesus said the third command is you shall not steal. And this is a man with high ethics, and he thinks, you know what, I got this one, but of course the Bible throws us all sorts of curves. You remember what Malachi writes in Malachi 3, 8 to 10, he makes this statement, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? And then he goes on to say that when we do not give the Lord the first fruits of our income, we steal from God. So here we have the rich young ruler. He thinks adultery, nope. Murder, nope. Stealing, nope. Three singles, but he's 0 for 3. We could do the same thing with the last two. The reality is this man thinks he's hit for the cycle plus one. He thinks he has five hits, but he's 0 for 5. But Jesus continues to play along with him. And then Jesus said, but you lack one thing. This self-assured man thinks that he has kept all the commandments since, since his bar mitzvah. He hasn't. We haven't. We are sinners in need of a Savior But he hasn't gotten that. So Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you have to the poor. Then you will have riches in heaven and come and follow me. It's not that we have to give everything we have up to the Lord. That may or may not be true. The issue is idolatry. The issue for this man is idolatry. What is most important in his life is money. Money is the mosque he worships at. Gold is his God. And in order to have a relationship with the living God and for the Lord to be on the throne of his life, he, we, need to give up idolatry. And let's not misunderstand. Idolatry isn't only an issue for an unbeliever like this rich young ruler It was Pascal who rightly said that our hearts are idol factories. We constantly are idolaters. Anything or any possession or any person that is more important in our life than God is an idol. Just because at age four I received Christ as my Savior doesn't mean that I haven't had or perhaps still have some idols in my life when there are times in my life when maybe a relationship becomes more important than my God, or maybe a job becomes more important than my God, or maybe a recreation or a passion becomes more important than my God, and I become an idolater once again. This rich young ruler 
is an idolater. And so Jesus is addressing his idol, which for him was gold, his money. That was his issue. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I plead with you to understand that Christ needs to be preeminent. You need, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. By faith, we need to believe and receive Christ as our personal Savior and confess our sin and the power of the Spirit turn from our sin and believe that His death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient alone. To give us eternal life. And for we who know Christ, I plead with us to examine our hearts to make sure that we have not allowed new idols to permeate our lives, people or things or possessions that are more important to us than Christ. It could be a relationship. Maybe it's a single Christ follower who understands that Scripture says our highest relationships are to be reserved for a fellow Christ follower. And yet, we have an idol. An idol of a desire to be in a marriage relationship. So we, we reject what God says and we pursue our hearts. Listen to what the Lord says in 2 Corinthians six fourteen and following. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement is the temple of God with idols? And then gone it goes. And then verse 17. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, etc., etc. Now, if you're already married to an unbeliever, 1 Corinthians 7 says we remain in the marriage we're in. We work at the marriage we're in. We pray for the marriage we're in. That's true for a believer or an unbeliever. But if you're not yet married, the highest goal that God has is a relationship with Christ. And that's preeminent over everything else. And when we disobey the Lord and pursue our heart, we make something or someone an idol over our relationship with Jesus. It can be so many ways. It could be a job. We pursue our job more than we pursue Christ. Or it could be wealth. We pursue more and more and things and possessions more than Christ. It could be a a passion or recreation. And we allow our pursuits to push the things of Christ away. Pascal is right. I'm an idolater at heart. My heart is an idle factory, and I constantly need to take assessment and confess, agree with God, and then repent and turn from my idols and and pursue Christ. That's what we need to do. This man didn't do it. This man reminds me of a mountain man. He had always been self-dependent all of his life. But he had a rash that just wasn't going away. And finally he thought, you know, I'm going to go to a doctor. And so he found a doctor with a great reputation. He went in and the doctor examined him, found out about his history, ran some tests. And then the doctor said, well, it's an easy solution, but it'll be painful. The fact is, sir, you are allergic to your dog. And then as the mountain man was leaving... 
The doctor said, I'm just curious, are you going to give your dog away or, or sell your dog? And the mountain man said, neither. I'm going to get me one of them second opinions I've been hearing about. Easier to replace a doctor than a good bird dog. That's exactly what the rich young ruler is doing. He wants a savior and his idol. God wants a Savior and Lord. And so he wants to replace what Jesus says. That's when Jesus utters very famous words. He said how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been to Israel, not with me, but with someone else, it might be that someone showed you a gate that they declared is the eye of the needle gate. It's a fabrication. They'll take you to the Damascus gate, also called the Stephen's gate or the Lion's gate. It's a shorter than normal gate, and they'll tell you that uh, in antiquity, in the first century, in the old city, that gate was even smaller, and a camel could just on its knees crawl through that gate Humps, lumps, bumps and all if you took everything off. That's a ninth century fabrication. It's not true. Jesus is talking about a camel getting through the eye of a needle, just like my little cartoon up here. It's impossible. That's why the disciples respond. Then who can be saved? And we love Jesus' response. It's at the heart of the gospel. With man, it is impossible, not improbable, not unlikely. It is impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. In other words, no matter how much effort I put into it, how many times I try and do good works, how many things I stack up on the good side as compared to the bad, I still will not be able to approach a holy God. I will still be an idolater. I will still be a sinner, a sinner that needs to be saved. And that's why the God-man, Jesus Christ, took on human flesh, went to the cross, laid down his life. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. He took on sin. That through him, through faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. How are we made righteous? Not by our own acts, but by placing our faith in Christ. When we go to share the gospel, when we testify, when we're those spiritual ushers, we need to remind everyone of the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And if you're here today, and you've not placed your faith in Christ, you need a Savior, and you're in good company. It's 100% of us. We cannot save ourselves. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Having received Christ, then Peter asks a question in verse 28, and Jesus responds in 29 and 30. It's an incredible question. Let me read it to us again. And Peter said, 
See, we have left our homes and followed you. That is, we've really sacrificed Jesus. We realize that we can't save ourselves, but hey, we really have put forth a lot of effort since, since you saved us. That's kind of a bold, very arrogant question. But look at the grace of Jesus' answer, 29 and 30. And he said to them, he said to us, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, including eternal life. What incredible grace. I mean, we don't deserve to be saved and we can't save ourselves. And Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty of sin, which is death. And on the third day rose again that if we would confess our sin and by faith believe in Christ, we would be given eternal life. We don't deserve that. And then having received Christ, as Paul puts it, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is the salvation that we have received by faith. We then begin to work out. And in response, God gives us temporal and eternal rewards. Luke says, he'll give us many times more. Mark, in his gospel in Mark 10, 30 says, he'll give us a hundredfold. That's an incredible investment. Picture it this way. If you and I serve the Lord and we lose five friends because of our faithfulness to God, the Lord promises us 500 friends either here or in the life to come, or part of both. If we're not a workaholic, and, and we leave some of our life to serve the Lord, and to serve family, and because of that, we make $10,000 a year less, 100 times is a million dollars, that the Lord will invest in us, temporally or eternally. The rich young ruler has lost so much, the greatest loss, of course, is salvation. He loved his idol more than a Savior, and he wanted a Savior without a Lord. He wanted a Savior plus idol, and God offered him a Savior and Lord. And he walked away with a woeful confidence. Don't walk away with a woeful confidence. You may be coming to church all of your life. You may be in a Christian family, but it's an individual belief in Christ, an acceptance of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection as a payment of one's confessed sin by which we are saved. Believe in Christ. Receive Christ. He walked away. He was set temporally. The rich young ruler was lost eternally. And not only that, had he accepted Christ by incredible grace, he could have built up extra eternal rewards in heaven. Luke tells us what we do for the Lord will be remembered much. Mark says a hundredfold. What incredible grace. Having saved us and in response in our act of worship, we serve the Lord. If we do it with the right attitude and motive and the right actions, God says, in addition to that, Jeff, 
I'm going to allow you to build up extra eternal rewards. What incredible grace. Don't miss out on the grace through faith in Christ and through service to Christ that God says he will restore to us a hundredfold. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the gospel of Luke. Probably at this point, I don't know, 50 or 60 messages that we've looked at in the series that we put together over time and and still more to go. Father, you have richly blessed us with your word. And we pray, Father, that we would not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. And that you would take your word in our lives and transform us for your great glory, our betterment, and the betterment of others. Lord, do this, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.